Welcome to the In The Cut Fantasy Sports Podcast with your hosts, John Fish and Ryan Venancio. What's up, everybody? Welcome in episode 13 of the In The Cut Fantasy Sports Podcast. It is December 6th. We are in the middle of winter. But the hot stove is heating up. We got a lot of signings going on. Uh, I am your host, John Fist, joined as always by with Ryan Venancio. Uh, Ryan, how are you? I'm doing well, Fish. Uh, excited to talk first baseman. Um, yeah. yeah. Yeah, we'll get into some first baseman today. We did catchers last, uh, last episode, so we'll um, get into some first base talk today. Um, just in general, what's uh, you know, what's your general strategy when it comes to first base? Like, you know, what does it what, is it? Are you taking the same approach this year as you did last year, or are you switching it up a little bit? Yeah, I usually um, I usually play the middle um, for first baseman. I don't like to take them too early or wait too late. Um, like last year, uh, I believe we had about the same strategy. We we're shopping in the uh, Riz Hoskins, CJ Crone. Uh, that area of the draft, you know, a, a little after pick 100. I think it was on like pick 100 to 120. Uh, getting my first baseman there. Um, I mean, we're going to talk about player to player uh, as we go on, but I'll pay up for Vlad or Freeman if if I'm drafting at the back end. But other than that, I, I won't have much of um the high-priced first baseman. Yeah, same situation here. Um, first base was pretty much a, uh, early on was kind of a fade for me. I only had one share of Paul Goldschmidt last year. Um, I didn't have any Matt Olson. I didn't have any Pete Alonzo. I didn't have any Vlad. I think I had one share of Freeman. Um, and, you know, if you look at it this year, those guys are – that group is all going towards the top again, and for good reason. I mean, they're obviously, you know, elite power sources, and, and for the most part they all hit for a pretty good average outside of Olsen. But yeah, uh, yeah, same things uh, for me last year. I was, it was all about, you know, CJ Crone, Reese Hoskins. Um, I did have a lot of Votto, unfortunately, uh, but I did have some Josh Bell as well. So, you know, it, for the most part, it worked out pretty well. Getting those guys in between, like round eight and ten, and some of those guys are still going down there. You know, CJ Crone is still kind of going down there, and uh, Hoskins and. You know, you see some other guys that kind of kind of jumped up into that into that round or in that range, I should say. Um, I did have a lot of Vinny Pasquantino last year as well, getting him like in the you know in the forties, late forties. And you know, we'll we'll get to him here in a little bit, but we've obviously okay. seen him shoot way up the ADP this year compared to last year. Oh yeah. Um, yeah, so let's uh, we'll just get right into it here. We got uh, uh, the first first baseman that's coming off the board is Vlad Jr. Um, he's going off at about uh, ADP around around pick 12, and we're using ADP from the last month, so November 6th to December 6th for draft champions leagues. Min pick of eight, max pick of 17. I've already actually taken two shares of Vlad Jr., uh, that's one uh you know, kind of minor adjustment I've made for this year as opposed to last year. If I'm drafting at the back end, there's not a lot of speed options I like there. If Bobby Witt is off the board. So, um, you know, I'm kind of keying in. I'm locking in that big first baseman early. 
and um, you know, trying to trying to kind of catch up with stolen bases. Again, this is another reason I, I don't really like drafting at the back end because as you know, I like to grab my stolen bases early in drafts and it's just so tough to do if um, if you're drafting at the back end. I mean, because you're looking at the back end, you're looking at guys like Rafael Devers, Manny Machado, uh, you know, Vlad, Austin Riley, Jordan. Like a lot of those guys don't steal a lot of bases. So it's, um, it, it's kind of tough. Now, those players are obviously fantastic down there at the back end, but it's just uh, from for what I like to do. I know a lot of people are taking Fernando Tatis in the early second. Um, I'm just not going to do that. I need to actually see. It's not even the suspension for me with Tatis. It's just the it's the shoulder. You know, obviously he, he had the surgery, but I need to I need to. Yeah, you know, I what if he's not 100 percent healthy? You know, that's not just an automatic snap of the finger. He's fine 100 percent again. So I need to I need to kind of see some more positive updates, and I'll be doing a lot of drafts, obviously. So I'll get I'll be able to get some Tatis if I do think that he's actually fine. But yeah, for me, it's Vlad Junior. Um, is kind of uh, it's between him and Freeman, kind of as my as my top choices. Uh, where are you at with Vlad this year? Um, so I don't know. Uh, coming off of twenty twenty one, it was sort of annoying that. People were saying, you know, what Vlad did was like unsustainable because of uh, the minor league ballpark he played in. Um, and I thought that was a pretty ridiculous argument because he did hit 13 home runs in August to September of 2021, uh, which they, they played in Toronto's ballpark, and that's a 40 homer pace in a full season. Uh, so I think the, the Vlad was only amazing because of the minor league ballpark was a very lazy argument. Um, and I just think uh, other than Jordan Alvarez and obviously what Aaron judge did this year, hit 62 home runs, Vlad probably has the highest ceiling in all of baseball. Um, like there's a realistic, uh, you know, he, he hit three eleven with 48 home runs in 2021, which is of course a ridiculous season, but he, I mean, with how hard he hits the ball and how little he strikes out, he can realistically do better than that. Um, and, you know, he hit 32 home runs last year and hit 275. That's probably his floor, honestly, um, with how hard he hits the ball again. Uh, it just gives him such a high ceiling and high floor. Um, I really don't think he can do worse than that if he stays healthy. And last year he was able to chip in uh, with stolen bases. Uh, he had 11 stolen base attempts, which you love to see. So even with the, the new rules, People might like bump up his stolen base attempts, but I don't know. Considering how slow he is, I would probably expect something similar next year. I wouldn't necessarily bump it up. So if we can get five to eight steals from Vlad with a 290-300 average and 40 home runs, I, I don't see what's wrong with that in the first round. Yeah, I agree. Uh, if you look at it, like his max exit velocity is 99th percentile, and you know it's 118.4 miles an hour off the bat. He's uh, and like you already touched on his K percent super low, which is just going to provide a huge floor. My only concern that I have with Vlad is just the amount of ground balls. Um, I think he might have reverted back a little bit to like his 2020 season, the short season, um, with, with the ground ball rate, but um. Yeah, if he can just kind of figure that out and, and get the ball in the air a little bit more, he's definitely going to be a monster. The stolen bases are just the cherry on the top, right? Like any any kind of time you can get some stolen bases out of first base, that's it's just 
fantastic. You know, it's just uh, it, it just puts a little less stress on the rest of your positions where you do rely on stolen bases. So he's going to be at a good lineup again. He's he's pretty much my uh, my clear uh, number one. Yeah. So um, and to finish off um, on Vlad, he is only twenty three years old. So the ground ball rate is worrisome, um, but ground ball rate generally improves uh, until like your peak seasons. So I, I would expect him to keep improving that ground ball rate, even though it did go in the other way last season, which really, you really don't like to see. Um, it was basically like Christian Yelich. Uh, I just hit so many ground balls. But the fact that, um, again, this ties into what I think his floor was last season. The fact that he hit so many ground balls and still hit 275 with 32 home runs just speaks to like how good he is. Um, so even though it's a bad thing, I think it's a good thing in the sense that I don't think he could possibly play any worse. Yeah. He has such a, and it, he's like one of those players that has a super high floor and a super high ceiling. And those are the kind of players I like to invest in going off the board. Uh, second uh, first baseman is Freddie Freeman. Um, he's going just a couple picks later, actually, around pick 14, ADP, min pick of 12, max of 16 in the last 10 drafts, which is pretty tight little window there, right? He's just That's kind of where you're going to take him. It's right there at the back end of the first. Um, we just saw Freddie Freeman have a massive season last year uh, with, with the batting average, hit 325, had 13 stolen bases. That's a career high. 100 RBIs, 117 runs, super, super um, steady across the board year after year. Uh, little one little concern, only 21 home runs. Um, where are you at with Freeman? And, you know, do, are we going to see that power come back a little bit? I think so. Um, he does hit the ball the opposite field a lot in the air, and that sort of hurt his home run output because um, opposite field power was just down all across the league last year with the, um, you know, the change in the ball and the environment. Um, I would expect him to be like a 25 to 28 homer guy instead of 21. And what I like so much about Freeman, if you look at his games played, he's like as steady as it gets. Uh, since 2018, he's missed a combined 10 games. Uh, three last season, three in 2021. Four in 2019. Other than that, since 2018, he's played in every single game possible. Um, and his average is going to be around 300. He's going to score a ton of runs with a ton of RBIs. And like you said, like seven to 10 steals. Um, he is probably the safest player in the player pool for all of those reasons. So it, even though Vlad's ceiling is much higher, uh, I, I don't think you can go wrong with Freeman in the first round. I completely agree with the safest player. Um, to me, the two safest players in all of all across all positions is him and Class A. I think they're. Um, I don't think you can really go wrong with either one of them. But uh, yeah, Freddie Freeman and I do agree. I think we'll see some uh, a little bit of that power come back. He's just too good, uh, you know, for it not to. And and another great point you made was the the games played. I mean, he just doesn't miss any games, and that's. Like the old saying goes, you can't win your uh, league in the first round, but you can definitely lose it. And, you know, he's as safe as they come. So I, I completely agree the, uh, with you on all, all fronts there. Yeah, and when you're – um, 
don't know. When you're drafting the first round, obviously you want those, like you said, you want those stolen base guys. And that falls off after around like pick seven or eight. Um, so when you're picking at the back end, uh, I mean, you want say as much as stolen bases, uh, as important as stolen bases are, I think safety is just as important. Like knowing what you're going to get from that player um, is just as important. So again, even though Freeman and Vlad are only going to chip in, let's say three to 10 steals, like it is a pretty wide range what they could do because they don't, right. They don't have a track record of steals. So you can't really bank on it per se, but you can bank on their production, um, which is super important. Again, when you're drafting in the first round, um, the next player, Pete Alonzo, who had a monster season. I have a feeling, I know your thoughts on him, but um, would you ever be thinking about drafting Pete Alonzo uh, with your second round pick, ADP of 21 in the last two rounds, in the last uh, month, sorry. Yeah, I'm just not going to do it. Um, I just need speed. I, I mean, the thing about Freeman and Vlad is they can give you that. I feel like eight to 12, um, you know, on Freeman's case, a little bit more uh, for Pete. I think you're only going to get five max. And obviously we know the power is huge. We know that the, he's going to have tons of RBIs, um, a good amount of runs. But to me, it, like that kind of a profile, if I'm not going to get much speed and I don't like, I think last year was kind of a ceiling for batting average. I just, it's tough for me to see, um, you know, him hitting higher than 270 basically again. Now he does. He has lowered his strikeout rate four years in a row. So I do like seeing that. Does hit the ball obviously is extremely hard. You know he's just not not super fast, and that can always be a little detriment to your batting average. I just can't do it personally. I think I would rather um, wait for some other guys that are going. Um, you know, a few rounds later, I'll give you one guy who I like. Who we'll talk about later. It's Jose Abreu. I think. Um, you know, I, I think I would rather wait and get somebody like that, but I don't, I don't hate anybody taking Pete Alonzo. Right. I mean, this is one of the premier power bats and all the, in the, you know, in the game, great in his prime, he's 28 years old. So it's just not something that I'm looking to do, at least not in draft champions leagues. Um, you know, if he's, if he slips to the two, three turn, I, I'd probably give it some thought there because I would already have a stolen base guy in hand, but uh, you know, mid, mid second round in, in draft champions leagues, I'm generally looking to lock in one of those um, one of those closers, Class A or, or Diaz, especially Class A. I'm taking him all day, middle of the second round in, in draft champions leagues. What about you with Alonzo? Yeah, I just think it's tough with where he's going. I'm not necessarily fading Alonzo, the player. Um, you know, I haven't projected for uh, 38 home runs, um, 265 average, and 110 RBI. Um, so obviously I think he's going to have a great season. Uh, it's just that when you're, um, so if he's, if you have to take him in the second round, that means you have to pair him, um, with an elite stolen base guy, most likely. Um, and I just don't know if I love, uh, locking up. Uh, even though he did he did steal five bases last year, I don't know if I love locking up uh, first base that early if it's not Freeman or Vlad. Um, Alonzo is just like a tiny step below those guys. So again, like you said, I don't really hate it. Um, 
I don't know. It's just, I guess it's just where he's being drafted that, that I have a problem with it. Um, you know, when he goes off the board in the second round, I don't like, if you look at his numbers, he's not that much different than Vlad uh, in terms of what he did last year. Obviously you think Vlad's going to have for a higher average. Um, but like 40 homers and 131 RBI, 95 runs. Um, I guess Alonzo should be a part of that tier. Um, I don't know. But for some reason, it's just like weird for me to see him in the second round. I know that doesn't really like make sense or, you know, it's, it's based on not, not really gut feel, but it's, I don't know. I'm not really sure what it is. I just haven't been able to pull the trigger on drafting him in the second round. And I wonder if he was going like late second, like if his ADP was like 30 and I can get like Trey Turner or J-Rod or Acuna and pair him with Alonzo, I'd like that a lot better. Obviously, it's never going to happen. Um, but I think it's just where he's going that's um, giving me an issue with drafting him. Yeah, his max pick is 25. So, you know, he's not going to make it to that 2-3 turn generally. Yeah, if from in order for me to take him, I have to get a speed guy in the first round. So, like you said, uh, you know, Turner, J-Rod, Acuna. Um, somebody like Kyle Tucker, I think I would be fine with as well. Um, and say, same with Bobby Witt. I, I, I don't, I don't mind that pairing. Although with Witt and Alonzo, you're kind of, you're, you know, your two best hitters are going to be not plus average guys. Um, so it, it'd be a little tough. But yeah, if I'm taking them, I would definitely have to pair them with a uh, with a speed guy in the first. Now, the landscape of how the the draft board looks right now, it it is conducive to be, for me to even consider Alonzo because I love so many of those starting pitchers in those middle rounds. So if I can lock up big bats early, it just makes it easier. But uh, you know, if I got I, I, like, I would never start with Jordan Alvarez and Pete Alonzo. Like I would never have that kind of a start uh, for a draft. That's just, you know, what do you get? Maybe eight stolen bases total from those two guys. So yeah. it'd have to be, you have to, you'd have to definitely pair him with a speed guy in the first. Yeah, so then the next first baseman off the board is Paul Goldschmidt, who's going basically uh, right after Alonso, um, ADP of 27. Now he does sort of uh, fit that at the end of, like you can get him at the 2-3 turn potentially. Um, yeah, I I don't know. I don't feel I don't feel, feel nearly as strongly about Goldschmidt as I do with Alonso, Freeman, um, and Vlad, uh, what are your thoughts on Goldschmidt coming off that career year? Yeah, it's the age for me. I just, you know, he's 35. Um, <laughs> I just think that there's going to be, at some point, he's going to start tailing off. And, you know, I, I don't know. It's tough because if you look at what he did last year, it's like it's an insane season. 317 with 35 home runs, 115 RBIs, 106 runs. And chipped in with seven stolen bases. You know, he's always been kind of one of those guys that will give you uh, some stolen bases from first base. But, yeah, just the age is kind of scaring me off. So I, I think that I'm probably going to be out on him as well. I, I'll say this. I would definitely take Pete Alonso over Goldschmidt. Um, yeah. But, you know, it, it, he, Goldschmidt's, you know, he showed no signs of slowing down last year, right? So <laughs> it, it's tough to be out on a guy like that. But. You know, I'm just going to I'm gonna let somebody else, um, you know, be taking Goldschmidt here. 
Yeah, I think if the offensive environment is similar to last year, um, and like offense is way down, um, Alonzo and Goldschmidt are probably fine picks here. Just because it's going to be hard to find a 30 homer, you know, 260, 70, 260, 270 average bat. Um, and in Goldschmidt's case, 290 to 300 hitter. It's just really weird looking at Goldschmidt. So obviously he had a career year, right? He was, he's never done anything close to that in terms of like relative to league average. Like he had, a, you know, I think like a 170 WRC plus or something like that. He was so much better than league average. Um, and it's really weird looking at a stack cast page. So comparing just 2021 and 2022, his barrel rate was down two percentage points, which is a decent drop from the year before. He had 15 less barrels than he did the year before, but hit four more home runs in a worse offensive environment. So it makes absolutely no sense. Uh, his average exit velo was way down. Um, his strikeouts were up. His hard hit rate was down like three percentage points. He hit more ground balls and less fly balls. It's so bizarre how like that could happen in baseball where literally every metric is worse than the year before, but he was significantly better. Um, I, I don't really know how that happens. Uh, it's not all bad. Like he had a 370 BABIP, um, but his career is 350. So it's really not that much higher than it usually is. Uh, I don't know. Very, um, very strange looking at Paul Goldschmidt's uh, StatCast page and seeing every, like, because you would think everything would be much higher, not much lower. Um, so I, I really don't know how to think of that. And he's going to be 35 years old. Um, and I'm not saying like, oh, well, Goldschmidt's going to be significantly worse next year. I don't really know, to be honest. Um, I, I just, that, that just caught my eye and was very, very strange to look at. Yeah, it's um, it, it's one of those things when you are drafted, when you're selecting a guy in the first round, the second round, like you want to be like really sure about the guy, right? So if you have like some doubts, there's just a plethora of talent around where they're going. So it's just easy to easier to take, you know, somebody else in that in that range. Um, next on the board, Matt Olson uh, again, another guy that I faded last year and. You know, he came over to Atlanta first year at Atlanta, and he was, he was pretty solid. But, uh, you know, if you look at, um, you know, his home runs were, you know, solid. His RBI is solid. Uh, the, the runs, you know, 86 runs, on, uh, you know, 34 home runs, 103 RBIs. But he hit 240, and this was always something I was kind of worried about. I know a lot of people were, were saying that, you know, they thought he could continue to take uh, make more progress in the batting average area. But it's always been something I was concerned about, and this is like this is the exact profile that I don't like in the early rounds. I don't like three category players that don't have that speed is not one of them. What are your thoughts on Matt Olson? Um, I agree with you that um, I don't want a three category player this high in the draft, but I do think he's going to be one of the biggest beneficiaries of the no shift. Um, so he generally gets shifted on like 90% of his plate appearances, which is wild. And um, if you go to StatCast and scroll all the way down, it shows like um, their WOBA, uh, which is weighted on base average. It's basically um, batting average on like a – it's on a different scale, obviously. 
But um, so last season, he was 370 with no shift, <clears throat> 330 Woba with the shift. Um, in 2019, he had a 420 Woba with no shift, 350 with the shift. Um, in 2021, it was closer to even. But uh, you would think that someone like Olsen, who pulls the ball a ton and hits the ball really hard, should gain at least uh, 10 points to his batting average. Again, uh, why I'm really trying to like... So some people might say, oh, well, if Olsen gets shifted that much, he's going to go from 240 to 270. I really wouldn't be so quick to do that. And that's because... Um, so let's say Olsen gets Olsen gets shifted on 90% of his plate appearances, right? So that means without a shift, that's only 10% of his plate appearances. So he had 690 plate appearances last year. Uh, let's say he got shifted on 90%, right? So 10% of 690 is 69, right? So uh, he, he basically got shifted... Uh, so, like, that sample of plate appearances, 69 compared to uh, 600, you just, it's so, um, like, you can't really compare batting averages in those, like, a small sample and a big sample. Um, so, I'm sort of going on a little tangent, but uh, it's really, uh, basically put it, I don't know, you just can't really compare uh, samples that are, like, that drastically uh, different in terms of plate appearances. Um, you know what I'm saying? That I, I, I know I kind of like um, my back and yeah. forth a little there, but yeah, no, no, I get it. Um, but if I mean, if he's going to hit, I mean, he's got to get the K percent kind of back under control. He kind of reverted back to, you know, some of those Oakland years. He was up to 24.3 percent on his K percent. Now that could be just because he's in a new league facing a lot of pitchers. He hasn't, you know, he's probably never seen. Uh, that could be part of it. But uh, if he can get that back down, you know, in, in 2021, he was 16.8%. So I think he needs to get that back down there in order to hit something like 270. Yeah, I mean, 24% is not horrible. Um, but, yeah, it's not great. I think two, I think 250 is attainable without the shift. Um, but, again, I wouldn't I wouldn't go crazy and say, oh, there's no shift. He's going to hit 270. Uh, I, I think you can um, – set yourself up for failure doing something like that, but he hits the ball very hard and um, he's in a great lineup, but yeah, no, definitely. Definitely. I mean, he's going to be, you know, three categories, you know, minimum, he's going to have tons yeah. of home runs, tons of counting stats. Uh, you know, you're not going to get any speed, but it, it just kind of comes down to the average for me. And if he can hit like in order for me to take him, he needs to hit 270 because it's, you know, this is a high, this is a high pick right? This yep. is, we're in the middle of the third round. So there's just tons of talent that's going right around him. So I need, if I'm taking him, I need him to hit 270. Am I confident that he will? No, I'm not. But yeah, I think, you know, 250, um, he can definitely hit 250. There's no question about that. But I, to me, like, there's just other, like I said, there's other guys around here that I'd rather go with. This is where like Aaron Nola, you can get your ace here. Um, you get, a guy that I love, Randy Rosarena, is going to you know get you 20, 25, 25 possibly. So, like I said, in order for me to be able to have confidence in taking Olsen here, I need to know that he's going to hit 
at least 270. Yeah, for sure. Um, so the next first baseman off the board, uh, someone I'm a big fan of, but um, I know you said you're probably going to be fading is Vinny Pasquantino. So let me hear uh, your thoughts on Vinny P first. Yeah, it's not that I don't like the player. I think he's going to be uh, phenomenal, but it, it, he's one of those guys who is going to hit for a good average, you think. My biggest issue is the counting stats. Uh, it's not a good lineup, and it's a terrible park to hit in. That's really it. Again, if I'm going to be taking guys like this early in drafts, I need to like like everything about them. He's going off the board at pick 90. So, you know, you're spending um, – it's early seventh round. So that's, there's just so, this is right in the heart of where I like to get my aces. So, and there's, uh, there's, you know, there's shortstops that are going down over here too. Uh, the catchers, it's just, it's not somebody, if to me, that's kind of paying up for him. And I just don't, um, it's just, he's definitely going to be a fade if he continues to go around here for me. The reason I like him a lot is that um, he does everything you want from a hitter. Um, he makes a ton of contact. He doesn't chase. He pulls the ball in the air, um, which is going to be big for playing in that so to, to play in that ballpark and hit a lot of homers. You're going to have to pull the ball in the air, uh, like what Salvador Perez does. And I'm not sure the counting stats are going to be. Uh, they're definitely going to be bad for someone drafted in that area, but I'm not sure they're going to be so bad that he becomes like um, not undraftable, but. Uh, you're not going to be happy with him. Um, I know he only had 25 RBIs and 25 runs in almost half a season, but next year he's going to be hitting third uh, behind MJ Melendez and Bobby Witt, and they aren't great uh, on base guys, but uh, 25 RBIs in half a season for someone that's going to hit 290 or so, it's just it's so unsustainable. Like I get the Royals are bad, but it's definitely going to be much better than that. Um, where it sits, uh, I'm not sure, but I'd say 85, 90 RBI. You can probably expect for him if he plays a full season. Um, and I really think he's a 25 to 30 homer bat that hits 280. Um, I, I just think that. I'm sorry. What'd you say? Oh, I was just saying. Uh, to, to me, that's stretching it a little bit. I think that's. I don't. I don't see him getting 90 RBIs. He just has such a high average. Um, when you have such a, when you have that high of an average and you make so much contact, you're just going to have a lot of RBIs. Um, again, I know he had 25 and 300 plate appearances, but when you're hitting third, it's just, you'll run into RBIs just from you know batting third for anybody. Yeah, may I mean, I mean, could it happen? Obviously, sure, of course it can. It's just to me, to me, he's like a two eighty, uh, like you know, twenty five home runs, uh, seventy five runs, eighty RBIs. That's what I would give him. I don't know if he plays a full. Is it possible to be a three hitter and have eighty RBIs? I mean, I guess it is. I don't know. I'd I'd have to look at uh, you know, some of the worst teams from last year. And, See how many RBIs like uh, their three hole had the whole season, but um, yeah, I mean, I guess I guess it's possible it's that bad if their lineup's that bad. But I just have faith in Wit and Melendez getting on base enough for him to. Uh, I don't know. Does ten RBIs make him 
like the difference between 80 and 90 RBI, is that the difference of being a bad pick or not? I'm not sure. No, no, no. It's I, I don't I don't think he's the bad pick. There's just the re, you know another reason I'm fading him is because I like again Jose Abreu is going 40 picks later, <laughs> so uh, I'm gonna I, you know I'm gonna take Jose Abreu all day. I'm gonna take somebody so like where, probably. Uh, we'll go ahead. So so when did Abreu sign? Like two weeks ago, about a week and a half ago. So I'd be interested to see where Abreu's ADP is since he signed with Houston, because um, I'm sure it's. I think it's probably a lot closer um, to Pasquantino. But yeah, I do agree with you. Abreu is close enough to Pasquantino where I'd rather have him, you know, that much later. Um, so the last two DCs that have finished this is since November 25th. So I'm not sure when exactly uh, he signed, but he went actually. Abreu went 128 in both. Okay, so it's still a pretty decent discount. So, yeah, I do agree with you that I would much rather have Abreu um, 30 picks later than Pasquantino. I, I think they'll be similar enough. Pasquantino will probably hit more homers, um, but Abreu's going to have, yeah, similar average and better counting stats. I don't know, man. I I, I think they're going to hit – I mean, yeah, I, I would say that Vinny Pasquantino is probably going to hit more home runs, but I don't think he's going to hit that many more home runs. I mean, Jose Abreu now gets the hit in – uh, Houston with a short porch in left field. Yeah, that does help a lot. So does he and, go from 15 to 25? He could. Oh, yeah, easily. We'll, we'll get to him in a minute here. Let's go to the next guy. Um, this is a guy I did have a couple shares of last year. Not not that much. Not Obviously, somebody I was on, I was in so many leagues. You know, Generally, you have uh, a couple shares of you know pretty much everybody. So this isn't like, oh, I, have, I was on this guy and he did well. That's not the case. Uh, Nathaniel Lowe, or Lowe, uh, for Texas, had a huge breakout season. Um, what are your thoughts on him? He's an interesting interesting pick for this year. Yeah, um, it's funny because a lot of people drafted him because of his eight steals in 2021, and this is what I kind of alluded to earlier. It's um, You're going to set yourself up for failure if you're like banking on steals from a first baseman. Um, and – Again, not. I mean, the pick worked out for you, but not not at all because of the steal. He stole two bases, um, right? But like, I don't know. The first basemen are generally very slow, and it's just hard to bank on stolen bases from them. Um, now with his production, uh, I was a fan of Low when he first came up because you look at the max EV, um, his contact rates were like never as bad as his strikeout rate. Um, like he had an 82% contact rate his rookie season in 2019 and he struck out 30% of the time last year, he had an 82% contact rate and struck out 22% of the time. So that's, um, another reason why I like using underlying metrics for, you know, guys that first get called up. Um, so he got the strikeout rate down to 22%, which is great. He hits the ball really hard. Um, and he's in a pretty decent lot, like the top half of their lineup is pretty decent. Uh, with Seeger, Simeon, and him. So he should have plenty of bar, especially because he hit 302. We've expected him to have, I don't know, at least 90. Uh, so maybe we see that go up next year. Um, he's just a solid player. Uh, I'm not sure the batting average is quite going to be 302. 
Uh, he had a 363 Babbitt last year. So he's probably more of a 260, 270 hitter. But I don't know. I don't think you can go wrong with Lowe here. Yeah, I think he's a fine pick. You know, he's just going a couple picks after, um, you know, like, like about half a round after uh, Vinny Pasquantino. Like to me, between those two, I would take Vinny Pasquantino. So that's probably why I, I you know, kind of consider myself off of Nathaniel Lowe. But yeah, I mean, it, there's a lot to like about his profile. He finally got an opportunity, right? And that's that's what we like to see. Um, and then he took advantage of it, and he's right in his prime. And yeah, his K percent went down three years in a row. So he's actually turned into a you know a legit big league bat and um, hits the ball hard. And that's you know that's exactly what you like to see out of your first baseman. Yeah, it's funny talking about all these first basemen. It's kind of just like the same thing. Like it, either you get Freeman and Vlad. Uh, Pasquantino and get like a high average guy. Um, of course, Vlad and Freeman chip and steals, or like you get, I don't know. I, I sort of feel like, um, low crone Hoskins and Walker. I feel like they're just all like the same type of player. They hit the ball hard strikeout rate is pretty good. You know, uh, it's basically just going to depend on their lineup and how long you want to wait on first base. Um, it's sort of just like the same kind of player. Yeah, absolutely. We can actually lump all those guys in too. I mean, Crone, <laughs> Hoskins, Walker. Just take whoever's, you know, don't be the first one to take one of them. Be the last one to take one of them if that's the profile that you like. Um, yeah, Christian Walker had a huge breakout season, which was, you know, awesome to see. See, But his, you know, batting average is very subpar. CJ Crone dominates at home horrendous on the road so you know in the draft champions if you're gonna take cj crone if you can afford it maybe you, you get um him as your corner and then you get somebody else as you know you can use a bench guy when crone's on the road and try to you know work work your magic that way um reese hoskins you know he's he's been, kind of been had some trade rumors out of philly but you know i don't see that happening i guess you know maybe it still does happen but He's in a loaded lineup, so counting stats should be there. With Trey Turner there now and with Harper out, where does Hoskins hit? I don't think he's necessarily a two-hitter. Um, so I don't think we, we see him hitting second. But, you know, he should be down there hitting probably, you know, fourth or fifth. Probably, yeah, somewhere around in there. I don't know. I guess yeah, you have a preference um, between those guys, Crone, Hoskins, and Walker. Uh, Crone is my preference. I've drafted him a few times already just because of the batting average. Um, you know, playing in course, he's going to hit 270. Uh, and Hoskins and Walker are going to hit probably at 230, 240. Um, Walker did have a really low BABIP last year, and I know he hit for a much better average in the second half of the season. Um, so in the second half of the year, he hit 285. First half of the year, he hit 204. Um, but that's mostly because he hit 346 in August. He went right back down to 240 in September. Um, so could he hit higher than 242 next year? I mean, he could. Uh, the bad bit was 248. But the strikeout rate was a career low 19%. So can you bank on a 31-year-old first baseman to have a to have um, you know a career high K rate again in his age 32 season? Probably not. So if we 
uh, normalizes batting average, his bat up to what it usually is, and then his strikeout rate goes to what it usually is. He'll probably hit around 240 again. Um, but the power is legit. Um, I, I don't see anything wrong with his profile. It's just, you know, sort of the same as he probably, he's probably going to hit a little more homers than Hoskins, but Hoskins has the lineup advantage. So, yeah, they're close enough players for me. I'd, I'd probably prefer Crone of the three. Yeah, you nailed it. That That's exactly what I would say about those three. Uh, so the next guy is my guy. We've alluded to it multiple times already. Uh, Jose Abreu off the board at pick 135 over the last 10 drafts. Now, obviously, he's, that's he's going to be going up from that with him signing in Houston. I mean, can you think of a better landing spot outside of, like, Coors or, you know, Cincinnati for for him to go. No, can't possibly think of a better uh, landing spot. Obviously, no one cares about dynasty leagues in here, where it's an NFPC driven pod. But in the dynasty leagues, I have Jose Abreu, and I'm very happy. Um, even though he's 35 years old, uh, he's still going to contribute um, everywhere other than steals. Um, you'd have to think he bats the top of the lineup. I know the Astros really like to go lefty, righty, lefty, righty, lefty. So Kyle Tucker is the one that probably suffers again. Um, so if they were to if they were to do something like I don't um, well, you could put him in a two hole actually. If you did something like Altuve, Tucker, Bregman, Jordan, Abreu, or, or you put Abreu in the two hole, like they could do something like that. So at worst, like Abreu is hitting fifth. Um, behind all of those monster bats. So you would think, um, and look at Abreu's RBI totals over the course of his career, 107, 101, 100, 102, 120, 120. Uh, so I think you can project him for like 110, 115 RBI. Um, and he's a career 292 hitter. And going under the hood, uh, yeah, his home runs went from 30 in 2021 to 15 in 2022. But the amount of barrels, he actually hit more barrels in 2022 than he did in 2021. Uh, barrel rate was almost identical. Uh, his average EV was the same. His hard hit rate was the same as it always is. Uh, and he even struck out way less than he normally does. Um, so I think at worst, you're getting a, a 280 hitter with 22, 23 homers and 110, 100 RBI. Like. Uh, in, in this part of the draft, this is the perfect place to take uh, a first baseman, getting someone like that. Yep. He basically said everything that this is the whole reason that I fade some of these guys like Vinny P and, you know, Nathaniel Lowe. I think that he's essentially the same player, possibly better. Um, I would I would say, like, if I was put up odds, who's going to return better value? Not necessarily just based on where they're getting drafted, but just based on their stats, I think he's, I, I think I would take a preview over Vinny P and Nathaniel Lowe. I think he's, uh, you said it with the RBIs. He's going to, he's now in the best lineup he's ever been in. He's coming off a season where, and he's not probably not going to repeat this again, but uh, K percent of 16.2, you know, that's probably not going to happen. Um, he's always been low twenties. So it's not the last three seasons before, before, you know, this huge 2022, he's been low twenties. So, you know, that'll probably revert back, but his launch angle was, um, the lowest it's been as well, uh, for his career. So if he can kind of just 
you know, get back to maybe hitting the ball in the air a little bit, which obviously he's got great bat to, uh, ball skills with, you know, the K percent, what it is. And just, I mean, he's a, the definition of a professional hitter. I mean, this guy is, um, he's amazing. And to me, he's still mispriced. <laughs> uh, we know where he's going to be playing. Roster resource has him hitting fourth. Like you said, he, he could be hitting second, fifth. He's going to be somewhere right in the heart of that lineup. Uh, even if he's hitting fifth, he's going to have guys like, you know, uh, Jeremy Pena um, hitting behind him. So it's like he's still going to have good bats behind him too. So, you know, that'll prop up his runs because a lot of, you know, a lot of teams are very top heavy um, with, with their lineup. So if, you know, if, if, they, if you have a guy that's hitting towards the back end of that top half of the lineup, a lot of times their runs are really going to suffer. I don't think that's going to happen with Abreu. And um, honestly, Abreu is probably one of my biggest targets here in draft season. And we'll see kind of how things fluctuate over the next couple months. I can't possibly imagine that he's going to be going, uh, you know, at the end of the ninth round come March drafts. But, um, yeah, I, I would take him over Crone, Hoskins, Lowe, Vinny P. I mean, I, to me, he's not really that much different than somebody like Matt Olson. I know Matt Olson has got more power, but, I mean, Abreu could hit 50 points higher than him, you know, with the same amount of counting stats. So, I don't know. I, I think, the, with you know, the move to Houston, he's going to get tons of pitches to hit. Tons of opportunities for runs, RBIs. So sign me up all day. Yeah, I definitely agree with you that he's better than, or likely better than the guys being drafted above him. Um, and in my projections, I have him as um, as better than Crone, Lowe, and Hoskins, and Walker. Um, and he's being drafted after all of them. Yeah, yeah. Andrew Vaughn, next off the board, pick 142. Uh, he's got a min of 131, a max of 158. So not really a whole lot different between his min and max of the last 10 drafts. Um, this is a guy I really – I know a lot of people were super high on him last year, and there's some things going on with Tony Larusa not playing him, and he's been playing out of position. It sounds like with the departure of Rayu, he's not going to be locked into first base every day. Talk to me about Andrew Vaughn. What do you uh, – where, where are you at with him? So I kind of go back and forth on Vaughn. Um, he hardly played in the minor leagues. Um, like basically didn't even come close to playing a full, even one full season across all minor league levels. Um, so, you know, and, and he is, uh, is entering his age 25 season. Um, he's got the max EV. He's got the strikeout rate. He hits the ball hard. There's a little problem with, um, you know, and we see it in his power output. Gets a lot of ground balls and he doesn't pull the ball at all. Um, a lot to field and a lot to right center, opposite field, um, and that's a problem. And you know, it results in his, he hit 15 home runs in 2021, 17 in 2022. Um, now, could he hit 25, 30 home runs if he were to fix that? He could, but that's kind of just the hitter he is. Um, so I'm not really sure there's any fixing that he's going to do. Right? Um, I mean, maybe the average can go up a little bit. Because uh, he makes so much contact, you know, maybe hits more line drives or something. And, you know, he has played outfield for the majority of his career, and he is not at all an outfielder. He's a first baseman. He's a DH. Um, 
And, you know, we saw Gleyber Torres play shortstop in 2021. He's not a shortstop. And it messed up. He was horrible offensively, right? And he goes back to his natural position at second base, and he has a much better season. Um, so I, I have I have heard that some players, you know, they, it messes with them because, you know, you're in the field. You're not thinking about hitting. You're, you're so concentrated on defense because it's not a position you're comfortable with. So could Andrew Vaughn unlock an offensive level because he's, you know, comfortable now at first base and DH? It's possible. But I don't know. It's um, just struggling to find a path to him hitting 25, 20 to 25 home runs. Um, and that's really what he's going to have to do to be worth this draft spot. I mean, he's going hardly behind the Jose Abreu. He's going in the same round as Jose Abreu. Um, so he's going to have to he's going to have to do a lot in order to outperform guys like Rizzo and France who are going after him that are probably better than him. Uh, so for that reason, I'm out. But I could see Vaughn taking another step, uh, being more comfortable at first base. Yeah, it's great, great points. It's um, I, I just for me, I just don't know enough about him. Um, I know he's a high draft pick. We've we've seen you know kind of mediocre output for basically the reasons you just explained. It's going to take a uh, you know some kind of an adjustment, and I don't know. Maybe he can make that adjustment, but I don't know if he can. Uh, you know, that, I think maybe we're still a year or two away from like the you know the, the supreme output with the home runs. So for me, yeah, I, I think I would just rather, um, you know, kind of pass on him and and take guys like you mentioned with with Rizzo, um, I, a guy like Mountcastle. We'll talk about him a little bit. Ty France. So I, yeah, I would rather take you know some of those guys than Vaughn. But I do think Vaughn uh, can produce a pretty nice average. He does have a you know a pretty low K rate, so that can always and hits the ball hard. So. There you go. Uh, that should that usually leads to a, a decent average. Yeah, and again, he's not even like in his peak seasons yet. He's only 20, twenty-five years old. Like we see Vlad, see Vlad uh, produce. You know, such a young age, but Vlad's a, a freak of nature and a future Hall of Famer. So uh, we shouldn't hold everyone up to that standard. Uh, next first baseman off the board is sort of similar to Vaughn, um, similar in the sense that he has multi eligibility. Vaughn is first outfield, and Jose Miranda is first third. Um, so if you're drafting Miranda here, you're probably not putting him at first. You're probably drafting him at third base. Um, mm-hmm. But if you are drafting him as a first baseman, uh, would you be able to take him here as a 13th first baseman off the board? Uh, exactly what I was going to say. If I'm drafting him here, I'm going to take him at uh, put him at third. But if I've really missed that at first base, I, I actually don't have a problem with it. Uh, you know, you look at 2021 in the minors, double A AA and triple A, he hit 30 home runs and hit like three, you know, mid 300s. So uh, the bat is like, he's a, he's a really good bat. And again, I, if I'm, <laughs> I don't want to be not have a first baseman by this point, but if I, if I don't have one, I got no problem with it. Again, I would just rather, players like you know give me Rizzo in Yankee Stadium give me give me uh I like Mountcastle give me Mountcastle I know the fence has got moved back but um you know I like that profile and and Ty France is Ty France is kind of the same player right it's kind of like the high average with the you know the the kind of the mediocre home run output so 
I don't have a problem with it, but these guys all kind of go in the same range. So, you know, if I'm choosing, if I'm trying to rank Miranda, Rizzo, Mountcastle, and Ty France, I'm probably going to go uh, Rizzo, Mountcastle, France, Miranda. Yeah, I'm with you on that. I'm, I'm really, really high on Anthony Rizzo, um, just because I don't think he should be drafted around um, pick 160. He's going to be one of the biggest um, – his, his average is probably going to improve the most out of anyone because of the shift fan. Um, and again, he's playing in Yankee Stadium. You know, he hit 32 home runs last year. Uh, his RBI, he hit 75 RBIs, which is pretty good for someone who hit 220. Uh, so if, if he's able to get that average up to 245, 250, um, which I could actually see him doing, you know, he's done that um, for his whole career. You know, in two, 2021, he hit 248. Um, 2019, he had 290, 2018, 280. And it's not like he's striking out more than he used to. Like, he still has an 18% K rate that's still low. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, yeah, in 2019, he struck out 14% of the time, but that shouldn't make his average go from, you know, 300 to, to 220. Um, so I think we're going to see a big uh, batting average spike from him. And again, I don't know. Uh, I think that's the only reason why he's being drafted this late, right? People are scared he's going to hit 220 again. And I just don't think, um, I don't think he's going to. Yeah. You see that, that K rate is, you know, fantastic. He's still hitting the ball really hard. 91st, uh, you know, percentile and max exit velo. So yeah, I don't think he's going to hit that low either. That's, that's just not, it's not who he is. Um, now I do have a little bit of concern about, just you know, he's kind of getting up there. Uh, he's not actually that old; only thirty-three. It's not too bad. But uh, I was going to say the RBIs. Um, if Judge is not there, you got to think that the Yankees are going to be going after somebody, some kind of hitting protection, because that lineup with Judge not in it isn't very good. I don't think. No, definitely not. Um, they would have to add uh, a lot. Or if they would, you know, maybe they lose Judge and they tear it down, um, which is entirely possible. But, you know, that lineup's going to have Glaber, Stanton, uh, and DJ LeMayhew. It's not, it's, it's, it's old and it's not very good. And it's not deep. So, yeah, if they, if they lose Judge, that could definitely hurt Rizzo's RBI output. Yeah, but I do think his power is still going to be there. I mean, it's just Yankee Stadium. There's, it, there's literally, not a better stadium for, for Rizzo to be hitting in. Yeah, I mean, if Rizzo hits 245 with 30 home runs, I mean, that's Christian Walker and Riz Hoskins, basically. But, you know, 30, 40 picks later. So, right. Yeah. I, I exactly. think Rizzo's good in this range. Um, and do you want to go into detail more with Mountcastle or France? Or you do you want to do. Yeah, yeah. So Mountcastle, I mean, I just like the fact I don't think we've seen his best season. I know the fences got moved back a little bit. Uh, I think he's still coming into his prime a little bit. He's 25 years old, hits the ball hard. Um, you know, his max exit velo isn't quite as high as some of the other guys we've talked about. Uh, he's 81st percentile, but I think that he's pretty much locked into a, a prime spot in the lineup. We did see his K percent go down a little bit to 25.3 from 27.5. And I, I just, if you look at his art, like 85 RBIs last year, I think he's going to repeat that number, um, if not do better. 
It did hit 250, which isn't great, but it's also not terrible in today's game. And I think he, I think he's a 25 plus home run bat. I really do. Um, the runs, I think the runs are going to be down again, just because you know the bottom half of that lineup isn't very good. So, yeah, I don't know. Like, what do you think about Mountcastle? Um, so I, I, I kind of struggle uh, evaluating Mountcastle. He hits the ball. You know, his barrel rate is awesome. Um, he had 61 barrels last year. Uh, but a lot of them are to the opposite field and to center, um, which, of course, isn't optimal for power. And then, of course, you have the left field of death in uh, Camden. I think it's still called Camden Yards. I'm not sure if they changed the name. But um, it's just going to it hurt his power so much. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he had he had 16 more barrels than the year before but hit 11 less home runs, uh, which is crazy to think about. Like, that's how much um, left field impact for him. Now, do I think he's going to hit 22 home runs again? Probably not. Like you said, probably closer to 25, 26. Um, and he has hit 250 the last two seasons with four stolen bases. So that's fine as your first base. You know, if it's 25 homers, 250, four steals, uh, you'll take that. And he gets, I don't know, somewhere around 80 to 90 RBI. Um, it's fine. I just, um, I don't know. I'm a little worried if he doesn't repeat that barrel output. Um, again, he is 25, so it's possible he does, you know, uh, he's not in his peak yet, but let's say he, his barrel rate reverts back to 2021. Um, and he only hits 45 barrels opposed to 61. Um, we're looking at maybe 16, 17 home runs. I just think his range of outcomes is so large because of that stupid left field. Um, again, if he reverts back to 2021 form, which is entirely possible, it was just a year ago, um, he's probably only hitting, like I said, 15, 16, 17 home runs just because he hits a lot of fly balls to center and right and left field uh, just killed his power. Um, so that would be my one issue with drafting Mountcastle. Again, I just think the range of outcomes is very wide. Yeah, that, no, that makes total sense. But I think to me, like this is also, I think his ADP is kind of baked into that. This is why he's going, you know, 161st off the board. Mm-hmm. That's, uh, you know, around 11 for, a, a you know, a guy that's coming into his prime, going to play every day. Uh, yeah, like I got, I, I just have no problem with him and like Rizzo and, and France right here. Like this is, um, you know, this is perfect territory if you miss out on first base or if you want to attack your corner infield here too. I actually like that as well. But yeah, um, you know, you brought up the concerns of Mountcastle. I have the same concerns. I just think that with him coming into his prime, um, I think we can see some of these, some of these barrels go into, you know, a little bit more power output. But I do think he's going to have tons of RBIs. And like I said, the runs, I think the runs, if he's going to hit fifth in that lineup, I think the runs are still going to suffer. I wouldn't, if you're if you're short on runs going in, like I would not take Mountcastle. I would probably go somewhere else. But I think, yeah, 20, around 25 home runs and, and 85, 90 RBIs with a, you know, a decent batting average is, is certainly possible. Yeah, I just think, um, I think Ty France is a lot safer. Um, so if I had to pick between the two, I would pick France. Um, just makes a lot of contact. He's just a professional hitter. Um, hits the ball to all fields. He's gonna he's gonna get his 15 to 20 homers, decent batting average, and a good lineup. 
Um, I think that's a nice like floor player to get there in that range. Um, but you are right in the fact that Mountcastle should be going there because, um, you know, after France, first base sort of falls off. Um, you got Rowdy Telez after him. But um, I don't know how you feel about Rowdy being a Brewers fan, but uh, I, I'm not sure the shift ban really helps him as much as Rizzo. Uh, just because he's sort of like a really, you know, very slow, um, you know, hits a ton of fly balls. I think I could see him being like a 220, 230 hitter again. And obviously he's going to platoon. Um, I don't know what your thoughts are on Rowdy. Yeah, I mean, he's got tons of power, obviously. And it's a good hitter's hitters park. The lineup, I mean, I don't know what they're doing with the lineup there. But it's it's not getting any better, basically. They're going to they're gonna be relying on the young guys, right? And it's just always dangerous to me. I mean, yeah, there, there are some of their minor leaguers that are, you know, tearing up the minors. They could, if they struggle in the majors, you know, it's going to just have a huge effect on the rest of the team. Um, yeah, I, I'm. It's kind of the same boat. You're going to get a subpar batting average with with Telez, but you're going to get tons of power, and he should have tons of RBIs too. So he's kind of like a two category bat, but at least he's doing the two categories you kind of want him to do as a first baseman. Yeah, it's just somebody that I'm probably not going to be too interested in. Um, what's kind of interesting to me is that you know, expected batting average isn't very good to use um, because it doesn't uh, doesn't factor in spray angle, like where you hit the ball, left field, center field, right field. Um, but I had heard someone, uh, I, I forgot who it was, mention on a podcast that you know without shifts, expected batting average might be more accurate um, just because there's going to be, you know, more holes in the field, um, you know, hitting the ball anywhere should result in a hit more often. Um, and his expected batting averages are 283, 265, 252. Uh, again, expected batting average is sort of a shit stat in, in terms of it's, it's highly flawed, but um, maybe he does benefit from the shift more than I thought. Uh, he did hit 219 last year. Maybe that does go up to 240, 245. Um, and if that is the case, he's got an elite max EV with actually a very good strikeout rate, uh, a lot better than you would think for a guy like Telez. So I could be wrong. Like if you're projecting him for a 220 average again, he might hit 250. Um, obviously, again, I don't know if you can bank on it, but I guess it is possible that he does do that. Yeah, the K, the K rate two years in a row, twenty and twenty point two. So that's you know that that's perfect. You'll take that every day. And uh, like you said, the max EV, you know, he's ninety eighth percentile, hits the ball really hard. So the thing about batting average is it's just like you know, kind of like Matt Chapman last year for me. Like he was, I was taking him a lot because the difference between two twenty and two forty isn't really that big of a difference, you know, and the, and the amount of hits. So if he gets a little bit luckier with, and I don't know exactly what his BABIP was last year, but, um, you know, if somebody like Rowdy Telez could, with the, with the 20% strikeout rate and elite his exit velocity. Was two, his BABIP was 215 last year. Yeah. So, you know, there's a lot, there's a lot low, to like in the low, profile. The lowest I've ever seen. Yeah. So after, so it's funny. I didn't really like Rowdy going into the episode. I haven't dove into all of these players yet. 
Um, don't you think after just talking about Rowdy, don't you think he should be going where Christian Walker and Riz Hoskins are going? Yeah, there's really not too much of a difference. Again, it's kind of like what I was saying, like going from uh, you know a batting average of 220 to 240 isn't really that, you know, it looks bigger, but it's not really that big of a difference in terms of hits. What is that, like a handful of hits? Or you get a little better luck yeah. with the BABIP and Yeah, I mean, 215, there's no, like, as slow as you are and as much of a pull hitter you are, a 215 BABIP is just like, no one has a 215 BABIP. So it's going to go up next year. Um, I don't know. After talking it through, I think I honestly don't think there's any difference between him and Christian Walker. They should not have a 40 pick gap in ADP, in my opinion. Yeah, I'd have to go back. You know, maybe we should do that quick. Let's go back and look at Christian Walker. Like, what was his uh, his BABIP? Because he's kind his of the same was bullet, two, like... 245, I believe it was. It was right around what his batting average was. Yeah, which is which is pretty low too because you know honestly his his K rate is yeah, better than I thought too. Um, yeah, maybe we actually see those guys hit for a much higher average next year. To Walker and Roddy Pelez. One thing we know about yeah, both of them is there's tons of power there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. They're both going to have for a ton of power. Um, so maybe. Uh, if batting average is the reason why they're being drafted later than they should be, then you should take advantage of that because um, you're not really drafting them for batting average anyway. Uh, so even if Brady Tillis does hit 230, who, who cares? If he hits 35 homers, that's what you drafted him for. Yeah. Yeah. Christian Walker had uh, in a, uh, his best K percent of his career, 19.6 last year. So, uh, you know, yeah. we saw his walk percent go up to 10.3. Same with Rowdy. His walk percent was a career high. So, you know, maybe they're just starting to figure it out a little bit, uh, you know, and becoming better, you know, just better all around hitters, which should in turn make them, you know, better, better in, in you know, batting average, <laughs> like we've been talking about. Yeah. And then we see fr- first base really falls off a cliff after Rowdy. Um, Jake Cronenworth's a fine player. Brandon Drury is a fine player, um, but they're not going to hit anywhere close to as many home runs um, or are as like stable of guys as everyone that's going ahead of them. Um, you can maybe argue Cronenworth and Jose Miranda aren't that different, um, but I'm not really drafting Cronenworth as my first baseman. I, I would more be drafting him as like a um, an MI or uh, just you know a utility guy in a DC. And not, not drafting him as as your util, but you like the first and second base eligibility because he can go MI CI and then obviously fill in those two positions. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, what about your guy Joey Menzis? Is that his, his name? Joey Joey Manessis. Um, Manessis. Yeah. So I sort of went on a rant about him multiple times already, but I guess I can just hammer home the point uh, one more time. And it's just the fact that he was um, slightly above average hitter at AAA for two consecutive seasons at age 28 and 29. Um, I'm sorry, age 29 and 30. So he comes up to the big leagues and it's 324 with a 560 slugging. So if he was actually that good, right? Well, how did he not do, why did he not do that in AAA? Um, I just think this is a perfect example of, I think he's a fine hitter. Like he's fine. Um, he might hit, I don't know, 
17, 18 homers and bat 250. Like he'll be fine. But um, I think looking at his projections and, um, you know, expecting him to do something close to what he did last year, um, I think will be um, foolish. And of course, I, I would probably project him for 17 homers ish with 250 average, but he could do, I mean, he could do much worse. He can get sent back down to the minor leagues. He played an entire decade in the minor leagues. Like he's 31 years old. Um, you just have to bake in so much regression. I don't know. Uh, I'm just not going to be able to draft him. Um, especially above Josh. Like I don't even like Josh Bell and Josh Naylor that much, but I think they're much more sure things than Joey Manessis. Yeah, I was just going to mention Josh Bell. Like I would much rather take him. Uh, super elite K rate. But, um, you know, I, that he was doing really well the first half of the season until he got, you know, the, the trade to San Diego was, uh, you know, pretty miserable for him. But so you're not interested in, in Josh Bell at all with him signing with uh, Cleveland today? It's not that I'm not interested in Josh Bell. I'm just, um, I mean, it's nice that he got, what, 17, 18 mil a year. So he's probably not going to platoon. I'd be shocked if he platooned. Um, so he is going to play every day. Um, I'm just a little concerned that um, he was actually really bad um, in uh, in the second half of the season. Um, when he went over to San Diego, I mean, he was just awful. Um, and on the season as a whole, his max EV was like way, way down from where it normally is. It's normally in the 115 to 116 range. And last year it was 112. Um, his hard hit rate uh, was 12 percentage points lower than the year before. Um, yes, he does make a lot of contact. And in the past, he set the ball really hard. I'm just, um, I don't know. He's going to be 30 years old next year. I just don't really like to see a 30-year-old uh, coming off a year where the underlying metrics went down that much. Um, you know, maybe was he playing through an injury? It's possible. Um I don't know. Uh, I think he's fine as a floor guy in that range because he's going to play and, you know, he'll probably be like decent enough, but I'm just worried that, you know, the underlying metrics go, uh, keep going in the wrong direction. And I just like so many other first basemen um, that are going ahead of him that I'd, I'd rather pay up and not have to take Josh Bell. Yeah, definitely. I don't, I don't want to have to rely on Josh Bell. If I'm taking him, it's probably going to be as like a utility um, because yeah, I, I'm hoping that I have first base and most likely corner locked in by then. But I do, I do think he has a pretty high floor. Um, there's just probably not too much of a ceiling there. Um, but yeah, well, you know, another thing I don't like is first year on a new team in a new league. I just, I wonder how many, you know, how many of those pitchers in the ALs and the AL in general, the AL that he's that he's faced before uh yeah yeah that's that's definitely going to be a factor um so i've i've really dove into him but you know kind of look at his numbers they're a lot better than i thought they would be uh what are your thoughts on seth brown uh i had seth brown um on a few teams a couple years ago his minor league numbers were were terrific if i remember correctly yeah, um, yeah. I haven't really dove in too much to him. I know he doesn't hit for like a super high average. He did have a bunch of stolen bases, which is really nice. 
I feel like they didn't play him like every day though. I mean, maybe they did. I, I mean, I guess 500 ABs. So, you know, maybe they didn't play close to every day. I didn't have any shares last year. I'm just going off of like a couple years ago. They wouldn't like, he didn't play very much. It seemed like as much as I would like to him, him to have played. Um, his K rate, you know, got a little better 26.3 last year, uh, which is much better than the 29 from the year before. Um, I just don't, again, this is a, this is just a horrendous lineup. It's, it's a terrible park to hit in. It's not going to be somebody that I'm have very much interested in and in, much interest in. How about you? Yeah, that's the 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 two really big uh, flaws. You know, one is the lineup. He played 150 games last year, but only had 550 played appearances. Uh, that lineup is fucking brutal. Like as bad as you could possibly imagine. Might be the worst lineup I've ever seen uh, in my life. Like honestly, it is. Um, so it's hard to draft someone that's in that lineup. Like I would draft Sean Murphy only because uh, it sounds like he's going to get traded. But having a 30-year-old Seth Brown in that lineup, um, the lineup actually could be worse than it was last year just because they have like almost no prospects coming up and they're going to end up losing Sean Murphy. Um, another red flag on Seth Brown, again, he's 30 years old and he just had a career year. Um, but his, so much of his production came against fastballs and he just got murdered by sliders and change-ups. Um, and uh, he saw 30% four-seamers and only 20% sliders and 18% change-ups. I would expect those numbers to almost flip next year because um, he's going to be bad in cleanup, and he's coming off a good year. So pitchers are going to pitch him differently um, and pitch around him because he's one of their only good hitters. So I, I just think there's um, similar to Manessis. It's just too risky of a profile for me to take here. Um, again, his numbers were better than I thought they were. 25 homers and 11 steals. Um, I just am not sure he can do that again. Yeah, no, I don't, I don't think so. Uh, he had 25 home runs last year in 55 runs. You know, it just goes to show you how <laughs> bad the rest of that lineup is. How bad is it going to be if he doesn't hit 25 home runs? He's going yeah, to yeah. score under 50 runs. <laughs> exactly yeah so the minor league season i was looking at was 2019 uh triple a he hit 297 with 37 home runs 104 rbis and 101 runs and eight steals um you know that's i'm guessing that's a hitter's park out there you'd probably know more than me uh triple a for oakland is it las vegas I yeah I, I, I yeah i believe it's in the pcl uh, which is all basically all hitter's parks yeah. Yeah. So, tw yeah, 2021, he had 20 home runs and 281 at bats. So it was driving me insane that they wouldn't play him, uh, you know, every, every day because I, yeah. I saw those minor league numbers and I'm like, come on, like Oakland, like you're not a very good team. Like get him in your lineup. Um, yeah. Yeah. He's just, he's just not, he's, it's just kind of something I'm not really interested in a player like that. Just, you're not going to get any counting stats. And I, I don't expect 11 steals again. And another thing, like I said, Sean Murphy is probably going to get traded because he actually has value. He's a legit good player. Um, I'm not really sure Seth Brown has any value to another team. Um, he's a very bad defender. Uh, his strikeout rate's pretty high. And again, he's going to be 30 years old. So like Sean Murphy has a lot of value to a bunch of other teams. So they're going to trade him. I'm not really sure Seth Brown gets traded. 
uh, just because I don't I don't know how good of a real life player he actually is. Yeah, I don't think so either. Um, so any uh, late first round uh, first base targets uh, you're looking at? You're looking to grab? Um, I know like a lot of people are excited about Matt Mervis, Tristan Casas. Uh, you would know more about these guys than I do. Obviously, they're minor leaguers. Um, I generally avoid these kinds of um, these kinds of players. Uh, I like I like my if I'm taking prospects, I like prospects that are going to give you some stolen bases because we know how people can struggle. Uh, you know, prospects the first time coming out of the majors can struggle so much in the majors. You know, facing major league pitching for the first time. So, at least with speed, uh, you know, they give you something of, of value. Uh, you know, I don't know if Matt Mervis and Tristan Costa is going to be doing that. DJ LeMahieu, I'm completely out on. Uh, <laughs> absolutely no interest. His only season over 15 home runs was in 2019 with the juice ball uh, year. So no thanks. We've uh, we've actually seen the batting average kind of be subpar last two seasons as well, which was always his calling card. But, yeah, no thanks with him. Yeah, I'm with, um, you, with you on that 100%. No, no shot at drafting LeMahieu. Yeah. Uh, Luke Voigt, I was interested in to begin with, but not anymore. I thought he was going to be the everyday first baseman for, for Washington. But then once he got, you know, released or whatever happened with him, then, you know, I've, I've just not, I'm not really interested in him. Uh, you know, Trey Mancini, I, I don't know where he's going to sign. I want to, I want to see that first. I don't know. I don't know, man. This, this, if you can't tell, I'm not very interested in a lot of these guys down here. They're, yeah. just, they're so flawed, like every one of them. Like at least you know, and we'll get into second base and shortstop, you know, in the next couple of weeks. But at least with some of those guys down here, they can give you a little bit of power, a little bit of speed. Like these guys are giving you like a little bit of power and no speed and subpar batting average and you know, obvious platoon risks and just you know they're not very good players. So I don't want to mess around with first base. I want to have it locked and loaded. I want to be done with it. Um, you know, one guy that I am willing to take a little bit of a shot on is I'm, I'm willing to kind of go back to the well with Joey Votto at this price. Hitters Park, maybe it was the injury that was, you know, affecting him last season. I don't I don't know. <laughs> That's why it's, it's kind of just a complete roll of the dice, and I think he's worth a shot where he's going. Um, but, yeah, other than that, no, I don't see anything. Yuli Gurriel is going to pick 517. I did have a little bit of interest there, but you know, once uh, once Abreu went to Houston, that that's pretty much the end of Yuli. If he does come back there, he's going to be a utility guy. So yeah, I don't know. I don't really have any interest anywhere else. How about no, you? No, I, I agree with you on Vado. Um, he had COVID, came back. He just tore the cover off the ball, um, and then he slowed down. Um, it could have been, like you said, it could have been the injury. Um, I just like him because he's going to bat third and play every day. Uh, and that mm-hmm. part the hidden. So Avado at 380, uh, signed me up all day. And um, I don't like drafting too many prospects, but Miguel Vargas is like toolsy as fuck. Like he hits the ball really hard and he's really fast. Um, so, you know, I'd take a chance on him if you haven't already drafted a prospect just because he could, you know, there's a chance they re-sign Turner and they sign a center fielder, and Vargas starts the year in AAA. Uh, but there is a chance that they don't do that, and Vargas plays a ton next year and goes like 2010 with a decent batting average. 
Um, that's, that's a hell of a lot better than a lot of the first basemen down here. Yeah, I was going to ask you, you know, if Justin Turner signs back there at third, they already have Freeman, obviously. Is, you know, can he play the outfield, Vargas? Yeah, he's similar to Jordan. He's similar to Jordan Walker. He's probably a tier down from Jordan Walker in terms of prospect. He doesn't hit the ball quite as hard, and he's not quite as good of, but he's still like, has like a you know one thirteen ish max EV with good sprint speed. Um, so he's definitely athletic enough to play the outfield. Um, again, it just depends on what the Dodgers add. Um, he could get traded, uh, so he's a bit of a risk here. But again, I think if um, prospect yet, I'm okay taking Vargas in this range. Okay. Uh, you want to touch on, I, I kind of brushed over him, uh, Tristan Casas. Um, you have any interest in him? Casas is actually one of my favorite prospects. Um, last year, he's, so, he's only 22 years old. Um, and he showed in his, you know, he, only, he hardly played 100 plate appearances, but his strikeout to walk rate was really good. Uh, his hard hit rate was good. Um, I just think, I don't know. I I don't really watch prospects that much, but I've watched a lot of Tristan Casas, and he just looked a really good hitter. Um, and you know, I think he's going to use uh, the Green Monster to his advantage. He's going to a ton of doubles, and it's just a it's a hitter friendly park. Um, so I like him there. Uh, my issue with Matt Mervis is that uh, I can't really find any information on him. So usually with prospects, I'm able to. Um, you know, find their max EV online or find like uh, you know, barrel rate and stuff like that. I just um, I haven't seen anything on that. On top of like Keith Law was short, sort of saying like in the AFL, he was only hitting home runs on like breaking on uh, hanging breaking pitches. He was struggling on fastballs inside. Uh, I know the Matt Mervis hype train is off the fucking rails and, you know, nothing we say is going to change anyone's opinion, but. I don't know. I would uh, much rather have Miguel Vargas or Tristan Casas um, than than Matt Mervis. I don't think he belongs in that range of player um, where those two guys are. Um, I, I think they should be going a group ahead of him at least. Yeah, uh, Mervis, you know, that he had a lot of hype, um, you know, throughout basically all throughout November. Uh, he's yeah, 261 is his ADP right now, and I think a lot of people are just thinking he's going to be the starting first baseman right out of the gates, and he could be for the Cubs. Um, I think the Josh Bell signing with Cleveland improves those chances, but um, yeah, again, it's just these um, these prospects that don't really give you any speed. I just don't really have much interest. They've never seen major league pitching, so. Obviously, major league pitching is way better. So if there's struggles, they could easily get sent back down. Um, yeah, just um, his minor league numbers are really good, but I just don't have any idea how good he is. Like, if I saw on Twitter, if I like saw, oh, he had a, he's hit a ball 116 miles an hour, and we know he's going to have that elite max EV like all the other first basemen do. Be like, okay, maybe I'm slightly more interested. Um, but yeah, like you said, he's going to be a zero in steals. He's a lefty batter. Probably only gonna hit 240, uh, so you're getting no steals and a low average. Um, I don't know. 
I, I just don't I don't know how good he is, and I have no information on him. So how can I draft him in the top three hundred? Yeah, it just it seems like one of those guys where you know people are looking at the ceiling, and he probably does have a higher ceiling than a lot of the other players that go around in this in this area. Um, you know, Trey Mancini, <laughs> Luke Voigt, Lemayhew. Um, Seth Brown goes a little bit before Mervis as well, but yeah, it's, it, I think people are just seeing the ceiling and the, and the, op, the possible opportunity. And, and then that could be there. Um, he will not be on likely not be on one of my teams. To, so I won't uh, be, the, be able to reap those benefits if it does happen, but you know, it is what it is. Um, one last guy before we get out of here. I want to talk to you about uh, Spencer Torgelson. Where are you at with him? Former number one pick. So I would be all over this bounce back if he was on any other team other than the Tigers or A's. That ballpark is just awful for power. Um, he's a high fly ball hitter, so he's not going to hit for a good average. And that team is just still terrible. Um, mm-hmm. You look at that lineup last year, their lineup was not that bad in terms of like looking at the hitters they had, but the, they all had down years. Like every single Every single player on their team had a down year. Um, I don't know, man. I don't think they know what they're doing <laughs> in terms of player development. I don't think they know what they're doing in terms of like uh, having like a game plan, hitting or pitching. Um, look at Eduardo Rodriguez. He was he was a really good pitcher for the Red Sox for years. He goes to the Tigers. His K rate plummets. Um, his stuff plummets. Uh, uh, Robbie Grossman had a really solid year the year before, and then he turns into like one of the ten worst players in baseball last year. Um, Jonathan Scope hit like 200. It's just like, I don't know, like every, like if every single player on the team is bad and they're players that have track records, right? Um, something's wrong. So I'm kind of just avoiding all Detroit Tigers. <laughs> um, I just think there's something like so wrong with that organization. They do not know what they're doing. Oh, Javier Baez, perfect example. Yeah. Um, he should not have been that, even though that park's really pitcher friendly, he should not have been that bad. Um, I don't know, man. I I will not have a Detroit Tiger on my team unless it's like a reliever spec in the 30 or 40th round. Yeah, Akil Badu, too, all of a sudden, right down to the minors. Um, yeah, Torgels is not going to be somebody that I'm interested in. That's for sure. I don't I don't want anybody from Detroit. The park's terrible. The lineup's terrible. Counting stats are going to be bad. The weather's always bad in April. So yeah, no thanks to uh, no thanks to Torkelson. Mm. Well, anybody else before we get out of here? Uh, no, I think we covered everyone. Uh, Jared Walsh, uh, I would wait and see if um, you know he's healthy. I know he had thoracic outlet uh, surgery, and um, I think he was really bad because of that last year. So maybe he gets healthy and he would be a steal at ADP if he was. Um, but again, I'd probably have to see that he's healthy first. Yeah, he's um, he's a guy that was going, you know, around that range where, you know, CJ Crone and Bell and those guys are going like around eight-ish last year. And yeah, he's going pick 320 now. So uh, I remember a lot of people had some concerns about him, his ability to hit lefties. And, you know, maybe those are still there. But yeah, coming off the injury, it's just he's going to be a hard pass for me too. So yeah. Alrighty. Well, that should do it. Uh, Thank you, everybody, for tuning in, and we will see you next week.
Thank you for once again tuning in to another episode. Ryan and I really appreciate the support. You can find me on Twitter at Pile of Dial. Ryan is at Ven underscore Armbarn. In the words of the legendary Wale, life without dreaming is a life without meaning. Peace. Thank you.